Do you just love this podcast so much and wish you could find a way to monetarily support us? Well, guess what? Much like NPR, we thrive on support from viewers like you. So if you love this podcast and you want to become a contributor, all you have to do is go to anchor.fm. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Click the support button and choose the amount that you want to contribute each month to our podcast. This helps keep our podcast going and it keeps the phenomenal content that you have come to know and love flowing. So yeah, what are you waiting for? Sign up today. As always, thank you so much for being a listener. We appreciate you. We see you. And we hope you enjoy the show. Spoiler alert. If you do not want this film ruined, do not proceed. There's spoilers galore. You have been warned. Welcome to Talk Classic to Me, the classic film podcast and movie club where I, Sarah Greenfield, your host and classic film enthusiast, bring in my entertaining friends to talk about classic movies or any other old-fashioned form of media that strikes my fancy. On today's show, we're talking about the film What's Up, Doc? from 1972 with my wonderful guest, Susanna Mars. Wait, Susanna, can you repeat what you just read to me and show me the picture again? So um, I'm turning my laptop around to the wall where Barbara looks at me with her glamorous, gorgeous eyes in her bubble bath, where she's written a note to my dad that says, Dear Kenny, it's been a primal pleasure. Love, Barbara. Well, that's the best way I can think of to possibly start this show. Oh, my God. Welcome to Talk Classic to me, everybody. I'm Sarah Greenfield. And today on the show, I have the wonderful Susanna Mars. Hi, Susanna. Hey, Sarah. It's so wonderful to to be talking to you about this fabulous movie and have Barbara looking at me from the beautiful bubbles. We talked about the film What's Up, Doc? from 1972, uh, starring, you know, a couple people you might have heard of, Barbara Streisand, Ryan O'Neill, and the wonderful Kenneth Mars, who just so happens to be Suzanne's dad. So that's pretty exciting. It's pretty cool. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Which is why she has that amazing photograph with Barbara and the bubbles. I have another picture upstairs that's really dynamite from the um, dinner scene with dad and Barbara sitting at the table. And oh, my Lord, love that scene. It's so I funny. love that scene, too. And we're oh, we're going to get into it all. I can't wait. OK, so here, everyone at home, uh, I chose this film. What's up, Doc? Uh, It's going to be, you know, the start of our sixth season. I thought we'd start things off with a comedy because I think, you know, the world can be a rough place and everyone can use a little joy right now. And this is like a comedy for the ages. It is just a sheer delight. It will make you smile. It will bring you joy. Um, I love Barbara Streisand, so obviously I picked it because I wanted to watch another Barbara Streisand film. And then... um, Ryan O'Neill's incredibly attractive as well. I mean, he's he's just a babe in this film. We're going to objectify him a little because, oh, yeah. you know. Uh, I mean, why not? He gets all Chippendales with the bow tie. That was literally my thought. When he took off his shirt, I was like, was this the inception for the idea of Chippendales with the bow tie and the naked mm-hmm. man top? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah. And then obviously I wanted Susanna to be on the show as well. One, because we've discussed how much we both love this film and two, like, I still can't believe it's so funny that like, we just love this film, but like your dad's in it, like, you know, whatever. It's this fantastic film and your, your dad's just like fantastic in it. It's great. Mm -hmm. You know? Oh, thanks Sarah. Um, It's true. The comedy in this, every single person that they chose to be in this film is spot on perfect. Yeah. Everybody got the assignment. Like, yep. it is just right. Um, 
yeah, so I'll do a plot synopsis and then let's dive into this film. That sounds fabulous. You're the top. That's how the film begins, so it's great that she did that. So, <laughs> Susanna was just singing You're the Top by Mr. Cole Porter, which starts us off on our journey. So, we know this is not a modern movie because of the way we open up the film with our title cards, right? The film starts with, like, a giant Warner Brothers book, and it opens... And Barbara Streisand is singing You're the Top, but let's be real, those are not Barbara's hands. We all know Barbara's iconic hands and fingernails, and those are not them. They definitely, they got a hand model, I'm just saying. Mm -hmm. So we see, you know, the pages are turning, uh, telling us the opening credits, you know, just as they did in screwball comedies of yore from the past, and that's what this film is based on. This mm -hmm. film is based on, like, the 1930s and early 1940s screwball comedies. Um, Oh, and it, I should say, it's also very much Looney Tunes. It's like if Looney Tunes was live action and was a movie starring real people who had nothing to do with Looney Tunes. That's what this mm -hmm. film is. Mm -hmm. And it was smushed with bringing up baby. And smushed with bringing up baby. Yeah, if Looney Tunes and bringing up baby had a baby, it would be this movie. I concur totally. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Um, and it's made by Warner Brothers, so they can like really use Looney Tunes and stuff, which is great. So much fun. Yeah, totally to their advantage. It's awesome. Okay, so... We are introduced to the fact that there are four plaid bags in this story. One belongs to Miss Barbara Streisand, who is kind of like Bugs Bunny in this film. Another bag belongs to Ryan O'Neill, who is a musicologist who studies the sounds of igneous rocks. Howard's rocks. And they always talk about his rocks. And it's funny because they're talking about them kind of like their testicles. That's the running gag throughout the film. The other two bags, one belongs to a very wealthy woman staying in this San Francisco hotel. I forget her name, but it's like Mrs. Van Housen or something like that. It's like mm -hmm. a bunch of jewelry. And then the other bag is carried by a mysterious Mr. Smith. And it just has papers that say top secret on the top, <laughs> which is how we know this movie is kind of campy and fun. Oh. So those are the four bags. Um, and we all, when we meet these people, all the bags are obviously going to get mixed up. Chaos will ensue. But among our characters, Barbara Streisand sees the very studious, very buttoned up Ryan O'Neill and says, ooh, that's the guy for me. I want that one. So she goes up to him and iconically chewing a carrot says, what's up, Doc? And he, he, she just sows chaos wherever she goes. He's poor little Elmer Fudd. He just can't win against Bugs Bunny. It's just not going to happen. Mm -mm. Um, he came to the hotel in San Francisco for a musicology uh, seminar, I guess, or what do they call it in this? It's like a congress, a meeting. Congress. Of, I think it's, it's a, a con congress, congress yeah. of musicologists. It's a congress of musicologists. And Howard Bannister, a.k.a. Ryan O'Neill, is up for a big grant. It's between him and this guy, Hugh, What's his last name? Hugh. Oh, 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 I know this. They all have silly names. It's great. Hugh. Simon. Hugh Simon. As played by Kenneth Mars. Yes, because dad built that accent, yes, on the famous uh, critic John Simon. No. Yes. Really? Yes. So Susanna's dad is Kenneth Mars. Kenneth Mars plays Hugh Simon. Hugh Simon is the lovable villain of the piece. Lovable villain. He's the bad guy, kind of, he's but you love him. He's a bad guy. He's a, he's a bad guy, but he's adorable. And he's got such good hair. Come on. Okay, that was my first note was one. How, did he get a say in the hair? Because it was great. It like kind of flips out, but then he does hair flips constantly oh. throughout the film. Yes. And it's wonderful. And so good. his accent's like Swedish, right? That's a Swedish it's accent. All, it's so many accents mushed up. It's, it's a Kenneth Marr special. It's 
hilarious and pretentious and you like know that character oh i'll keep going with the plot synopsis because i'm like oh i was noticing so many fun things that he was i doing always take you around. off the beaten trail i'm sorry no, 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 Sarah. but it's fun because that's what conversation is like that's it's you know non-linear mm-hmm. so so uh you know, Hugh Simon is not a good guy here. He's the other guy that's up for this grant. And he's very rude to Howard Bannister, who's kind of hapless, very dopey, but smart, but a little dopey. Like right off the bat, his name card is upside down or his name badge. Mm -hmm. And everyone says to him, you're upside down. Until he meets Barbara and then the next scene, well, it's not after he meets her, but until he, Barbara pretends he, that she's his fiance and then his his name card is right side up. Mm-hmm. So he goes from upside down to right side up after kind of being enchanted by Barbara. That's right. As is everyone enchanted by Barbara, <sighs> except for Eunice. So Eunice, the fabulous Madeline Kahn. And I love that this film, it's introducing Madeline Kahn. This was her first film? Yes. She's incredible. Oh, she's out of the box incredible that yeah. woman i mean she was always amazing yeah I'm, my gracious but this movie oh my lord i, I get such a kick out of it howard yeah. bannister those are howard's rocks i mean just yeah. i just love it she's so she's interesting in this because she's playing a very uptight and controlling character but you also still kind of like her too like all the people that you're not really supposed to like unless you still like them because there's something innately wonderful and funny about each of them so true very unique i love that yeah so that's so we meet eunice who is howard's fiance Mm -hmm. she is pretty controlling um but she's still a lot of fun but uh the night of the big event since barbara is super interested in ryan o'neill she finds a way to sneak in because she's very crafty and very smart bugs bunny she's bugs bunny and she pretends that she's eunice so uh she takes eunice's name card and she charms everybody at this event so much so that howard can't say that they're not together because everybody loves her so much and his whole grant is riding on this Mm-hmm. <sighs> including Austin Pendleton, who is the giver of the grant, who's fallen in love with who he thinks is Eunice Burns, who is not Eunice Burns. Wait, no, he, I don't think Austin Pendleton is in love with Barbara. Well, no, he falls in love with, he's charmed oh, by he's her. He's charmed he, by her. He, he, yes. Throughout the whole yes. dinner, he says, oh my gosh, she's charming. She's charming, Howard. So after this event, also Eunice breaks into the event and behaves so unhinged that Howard has to pretend he doesn't know her because she's like screaming and making a really bad showing of herself. So he has to be like, oh God, I've never seen this woman. So she she's pulled out by security. With her heels dragging, leaving black marks on the ballroom floor. Not just black marks too. They're like perfect squiggles. They did the best cartoon squiggles in the whole the best, world. Totally so true. Such a Bugs Bunny moment. Such a Bugs Bunny moment. Mm-hmm. So it's so many Looney Tunes moments. Where that's like one of the things we're gonna have to break down. All the Looney mm-hmm. Tunes moments in this. Mm-hmm. So um, Howard, of course, he can't help it. He's starting to fall for Barbara too, because she's just so much and she's so charming. Oh, she's so you gorgeous. Can't, you can't help it. And he does get kicked out of the hotel because you know, through a series of unfortunate accidents, actually through trying to deny his affection for Barbara and kicking her out, that's when mm-hmm. he gets into real trouble, and that's mm-hmm. when his television explodes because, you know, he's trying to lie to the real life Eunice. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that's Mm -hmm. when it goes bad for him, just pointing that out. So he and Barbara have a moment upstairs the next morning that's very romantic and they kind of realize that they really like each other. Well, she already knew, but he realizes he likes her and she sings to him and it's wonderful and it's such a movie magic moment. Anyway, so they find out uh, that he got the grant 
but he's expected to go in person to Austin Pendleton, whose character name I cannot remember is Home. Why can't um, I remember that either? I'm going to look it up. I, I just kept calling him Austin Pendleton in my notes, so I think that's part of my own problem. They go to Austin Pendleton's uh, uh, home, which we're going to get to, too, because Polly Platt is the production designer of this film, and she does a fantastic job with this house. Um, it's a Victorian home on the outside that on the inside is like a futuristic, uh, you know, kind of tacky, modern home. Um, and what ends up ensuing is that all the four bags that have been mixed up throughout all the hijinks of the night with everyone scurrying around and, you know, one secret agent trying to get the top secret bag from the other guy and someone, you know, the house detectives trying to steal the jewels from the rich lady. In all of this chaos, all of the bags have become mixed up and everyone finds out where the bags are going to be, which is at Austin Pendleton's house. Frederick Larrabee. Frederick Larrabee, the Larrabee Foundation. The Larrabee Foundation. That's Austin Pendleton's name. Thank you. Um, all the bags are at his house because the house detective has the wrong bag. He sees uh, Barbara Streisand carrying one of the bags, and the other guy sees uh, Ryan O'Neill carrying one of the bags, and they each realize that you know they those two must have somehow gotten the bags with the jewels and the bags with the top secret info. And then, you know, their rocks and their clothes are elsewhere. Okay, the one part yes. I think you left out, but I'm not sure. I might have. Is because Barbara Streisand double crosses Eunice Burns because Eunice is going to go to the party with Dr. Howard Bannister. But then Barbara calls her room and says, you know what? The party location has been changed. So she goes to the wrong location, which is unfortunately where someone is being tortured because they think that the top secret bag is the one that they have, but it's Howard's rocks. And so my Madeline Kahn... Eunice walks up the most rickety stairs and the most derelict looking apartment you've ever seen and opens the door and she's like, Howard. And then there are people beating up a guy who they've got. And then she asks, what are you doing with Howard's rocks? And then they take her to the party. Thank you. Yes. Under <laughs> gunpoint. Is yeah. that what you call it? Like, yeah. Yeah. Also, it should be mentioned that they are part of the quote unquote organization. I don't know if yes. you're allowed to say like what? mob or mafia. I don't know. So this, yeah. they're, you know, these men are clearly part of the organization. They've got Eunice. They've got her and they, she knows where the, the real place is. <laughs> so she takes them to the real party. And that's when there's, oh that's my gosh. There's chaos ensues okay chaos ensues. we've got the government guys there with the top secret files trying to get them away from each other and we've got the people from the organization who are holding eunice hostage who all have guns and they all break into the space guns are going off so not only is it chaos but we're not scared because it's looney tunes chaos right so guns are going off but also people are getting pies in the face and people are falling down glass staircases getting whipped in the butt with giant um lighting fixtures that are yeah. like a spray of metal rods. Yeah, that make like a kind of whip sound when she does it, when Barbara mm -hmm. does it. And mm -hmm. um, and there's a, the giant foot picture that falls on the person's head like it's kicking him in the head. Yes. So again, lots of Looney Tunes chaos is happening in this scene. Barbara and Ryan O'Neill, they escape with all four bags, which is silly. I think they could have just opened the bags and found theirs and left, but nobody asked me. The movie would have been so much shorter. Yeah, and they wouldn't have had the biggest car chase up to that point in movie history. Well, technically, Bullet, I believe, would have been 
Really? The biggest one. Or the longest. It was like the most... Oh, uh, what was Bullet before 1978? Bullet was 1968. Because oh. I love Bullet. And when I was uh, doing Bullet for this podcast, I paired mm-hmm. it with this movie because I was like, if you want a funny version of this, Chase. <laughs> oh, but biggest might be a different word. Because like Bullet's like the most realistic car chase, right? Uh-huh. It was the first most realistic one. But then this one might have been bigger because there's more cars involved. So and many cars. all of the cars are damaged. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it's all in the streets of San Francisco, just like Bullet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of them is not a car because Ryan and Barbara escape on a bike. Not just a bike. It's like a, a delivery service bike. And Barbara is riding. And he's, but Ryan is the one that's a guest on the bike, which is great. Okay, so remember when they steal the ice cream um, bicycle from the young guy? The young guy is Ryan O'Neill's brother. No way. Yes. I did not know that. And so he shows up in the court scene later too. And he's like, yes. I need a new bike. That's Ryan O'Neill's brother. Yes. Oh, what a cool fact. I didn't know that. That's great. You never know what's going to happen. Okay. So this insane uh, chase happens. They go all over the streets of San Francisco. They end up taking on a dragon from a, a, chi- a Chinese, yeah, Chinese dragon celebration. Lunar New Year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was, I said it was Lunar New Year, but I'm not actually sure if it was Lunar New Year. They don't specify. I'm not sure, and I cannot recall what the song was, but I thought it was so funny. The song that they were playing, it was an American song, and I feel as though it might have been another moment of of Warner Brothers Looney Tunes, but I can't remember now. We might have to go back and listen to that. Got it. Well, because the songs, we're going to get into this too when we're done, but songs Mm -hmm. are a really big deal in this film. Mm -hmm. They're really well utilized and we'll get into them. Mm -hmm. So, okay, to finish out the film, basically huge, huge car chase happens. Uh, all over the city and it doesn't just involve cars it's like they crash into a costume shop so they steal the costumes on their way out like it's as ridiculous as it could possibly be right but I still buy it but I still buy it and I still love it and long story short all the cars end up in the bay everyone gets arrested and rounded up and taken to this judge for sentencing (sighs) the scene is great so they all go to the judge the judge judge is like judge Maxwell I was like, I can't say his name because once you know his name, then you're like, oh, but I never said Judy's name. So That's right. And the judge is played by the most brilliant Liam Dunn, just an actor who is absolutely amazing. And, you know, he was also in Young Frankenstein. I only did because when we did the Young Frankenstein thing, you told me he was in this. Yeah. Otherwise, oh my gosh. I would not have been able to piece that together. He's just so incredibly funny. He's hilarious in this. Yeah. I mean, again, the the casting in this is so, so great like pitch perfect spot on yeah so he's a judge who's seen it all he's like but i've got compassion so life is so hard for me night court he's in night court he's taking all these pills and medications every time they like put a new shot on him he's taking some sort of new medication to cope with what's going on um but they're trying to explain to him what happens and he's like this is insane i don't know what's going on here Finally, he's like, you, miss, in the back, under the blanket, you seem to have started all of this. What do you have to say for yourself? And then she lifts her cloak over her head and she goes, hello, daddy. And it's Barbara Streisand. And I was like, was that supposed to be like, hello, gorgeous, but hello, daddy? I don't know. I love that. The big plot point is that that's her dad. That's Barbara Streisand's dad. And then, of course, after she says, hello, daddy, the entire judge's desk falls apart. Completely crashes. Yeah. Because as we mentioned earlier, Barbara's character cannot help it. She is a sower of chaos. Car accidents happen in her wake. But I will say for her benefit, to her credit, 
she does clean up a lot of her messes. Not yes. any of the big ones, like not the car accidents. She doesn't yeah. seem to clean up those. But like if she rips your jacket, she's going to mend it, you know? She's just going to try to help. Doesn't often end well. But sometimes it does. Mm -hmm. And so here we're going to get to the ending. We've made it. So the grant was taken away from Howard Bannister because he was thrown in jail because of all of the shenanigans. And the Larrabee Foundation was like, we had to bail you out so we cannot in good conscience give you this money. So they're gonna give it to Hugh Simon. But here's the thing, Barbara is very smart because her whole deal in this movie is she's gone to like a million colleges but keeps getting kicked out of them, but she learns at each of them. She can't help it. So she knows a little bit about everything. So he starts telling her the thesis for his uh, project, I guess is what it is. And mm -hmm. she's like, oh, you plagiarized that. That's stolen from the Fiddlemeyer proposition. She goes, <laughs> that's the Fiddlemeyer proposition. And Austin Pendleton, of course, knows what she's talking about. He realizes this man is a fraud. He takes the check and rips it. And Hugh Simon leaves shouting gibberish and doing a maniacal laugh. And it's very funny. And one more fabulous hair flip. And one more fabulous hair flip. The hair flip is just, they're so on point here. So good. Um, so in this moment, uh, Eunice and Austin Pendleton's character, Larrabee, they end up together because during all the kerfuffle, they kind of each saved each other's lives. And, you know, they're a great balance because he doesn't really know what he likes, but he's open to stuff. Mm -hmm. And she loves telling people what to do. And he likes to do what she wants him to do. <laughs> and she loves San Francisco. So they're a great couple, mm -hmm. you know? She wanted to go on her honeymoon to San Francisco. She loved it so much. So that's that's a happy ending there. Mm -hmm. And then Ryan O'Neill all of a sudden realizes how much he loves Barbara. But when he turns around, she's not there at the airport. She's, she's, gone. she's gone. And he's really bummed about it. So he's on his flight. And there's a Looney Tunes cartoon showing. And behind him, he hears a lady start talking about the school she's gonna go to in Iowa, which is his school that he teaches at. That's right. And he turns around and she's there. And then she's got that great line. He apologizes to her first of all. He's like, mm -hmm. I'm so sorry. I love you. Sorry I didn't, you know, I didn't realize I loved you or whatever he says. And then she says the great love storyline of love means never having to say you're sorry. And then he counters with, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, which is what every human being needed to hear at this moment in time. Oh, so great. And he takes his seat back of the airplane. She's sitting behind him and he reclines all the way and then they kiss. And then, the oh, it's so adorable. And then it ends with Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd singing a duet together and dancing together. And then it closes with Porky Pig saying, that's all folks. And that's the end of the movie. It's great. So what a good. great film. Such I'm so glad film. we did that full. We did a real full plot synopsis. So, okay, oh, now we've done it. We did it. it. Let's talk about this movie. Let's get into the details. This movie's all about details. We had mentioned, so mm -hmm. we can go down two rabbit holes here. Okay. <laughs> rabbit holes. Let's do the music first, because what I think is so cool about this movie is the utilization of these classic songs into this film to kind of like take us back in time and put us in a different time and place to connect us with the cartoons and movies these are based on, but to still, I don't know, we're still clearly in our modern time, but they add this level of a little bit of sophistication and polish, but also like a nostalgia. Mm -hmm. um, and something that I thought was really interesting is we had mentioned at the top, they're using Cole Porter's You're the Top. Mm -hmm. At the top of the film, Barbara Streisand is singing it as a solo. Mm -hmm. By the end of the film, she's singing the same song as a duet with Ryan O'Neill, which I thought was very sweet. 
I did too. I love that. But all the songs that have to do with them falling in love end up being Cole Porter songs, with mm-hmm. the exception of As Time Goes By, which was mm-hmm. a famous you know, moment too. Mm-hmm. But uh, they do a bunch of Cole Porter here. The ones that I wrote down were You're the Top, Anything mm-hmm. Goes, I Get mm-hmm. a Kick Out of You, and Night mm-hmm. and Day. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure all of those are in the musical Anything Goes. <laughs> So and I was that's wondering. so weird because, you know, my dad was in that show on Broadway. No way. I didn't yes. know that. Well, yes. How was your dad and anything goes? He was Sir Evelyn and sang Let's Misbehave. Isn't that wild? It's so funny. I did not know that. Yeah, I, I don't uh, think it, it never occurred to me that they were all from Anything Goes, but I'm, I name them again. I think you're right. I can't remember if Night and Day was, but you're the top. Night and Day is. is not in Anything Goes. So I there we that. go. Mm-hmm. Um, but Anything Goes, obviously, is in Anything mm-hmm. Goes. And I Get a Kick Out of You is in Anything mm-hmm. Goes. Yep, that's right. So all three of those. So, yeah. But I just I was like, oh, I'm so fascinated by this. I wonder if they got a deal on, like, Anything Goes <laughs> sheet music. And that's why they did that. Um, but I thought that was interesting. But they also mm-hmm. have, like... We're in the money, classic 1930s song, mm-hmm. Swinging on a Star, As Time Goes By, and Someone to Watch Over Me. Mm. So it's like a really great old-fashioned soundtrack and homage of music that's playing in the background. Yeah. Um, love seems to happen over the music. Like, mm-hmm. I think that Ryan O'Neill really falls in love with Barbara mm. um, during As Time Goes By. Mm. Um, so this moment when he goes upstairs and yes. he's kind of lost a lot of stuff. He's lost just about everything, he thinks, you know. He ruined his relationship with Eunice. He destroyed this hotel room by accident. Um, and the the elevator accidentally took him up instead of down. Because Bugs Bunny's always one step ahead of Elmer Fudd. And uh, he goes to play the piano because he is a musicologist. We forget this, right? Mm-hmm. He may listen to rocks and play rocks, but deep down he loves music. Mm-hmm. And so Barbara was on top of the piano under a sheet and she pulls the sheet off her head and she quotes, you know, of all the gin joints, joints in all the world, <laughs> <laughs> both really solid Humphrey Bogart impressions. So solid. Um, but again, since this is Warner Brothers, they own those rights and they can play that song. Mm-hmm. But I think that's such a beautiful moment. To me, that's when they I really fall in love. Mm-hmm. And she makes him, she does make him sing I love you to her. She's yes. like, they still say, <laughs> and she pauses until he sings it. And then they go in for a kiss and then they, then the, the chair breaks. Now he's on a, a painting horse. Mm-hmm. And then it's, of course, it's a beautiful moment and then crash. But it's still so romantic. It's oh, just I gorgeous. Love it. And the, the Golden Gate Bridge is in the background too. Um, I didn't realize that Ryan O'Neill and Barbara Streisand had dated prior to this film. Wait, 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 what? <laughs> I read that in an article that Barbara Streisand wanted him to play uh, Howard because they had dated in the past. I didn't realize that. Although hindsight, we did a thing about Barbara Streisand before and I remember reading a list of everyone she had dated. So I bet Mm -hmm. you I had read that and I just forgot because she Mm -hmm. has she's really dated a lot of people. She was wanting to prove like, look, I'm a sexy lady and I'm going to date everyone I want to. And I'm like, good for you, Barbara. Right on. I I thought she was I, I just think she's a beautiful human, and I thought she looked so gorgeous in What's Up, Doc. That mm-hmm. was the design. Oh, my gosh, her costumes, out of this world. And she's, like, just so cool in this film. She is so Oh, right, with that awesome hat. And, oh, and Polly Platt. I was reading, so Polly Platt. Um, oh, one thing we have not mentioned yet is this is a Peter Bogdanovich film, right? He mm-hmm. produced it. He directed it. He came up with the story for it. 
Um, and a lot has been said about Peter Bogdanovich, especially recently because he did pass away not that long ago, but mm -hmm. also because TCM did an incredible podcast on him called The mm -hmm. Plot Thickens. So today on this show, we're not really going to talk about him a lot because like, quite frankly, TCM did a much better job and you should go listen to their podcast about him. But uh, I feel like I learned a lot about him through that, but also what I learned um, uh, through the podcast, but separately, is how much Polly Platt influenced his work. She was yes. the production designer on this film. And, and her his and wife. Peter Bogdanovich, yeah, they were married. After their marriage ended, and I don't know, you know, I have no firsthand knowledge of how that happened, but I have the same, um, you know, tabloid type knowledge that he had a relationship with Sybil Shepherd, And after they split, that they continued to work together. So I don't know. Yeah how that rolled. Although, well, TCM made it sound like it wasn't the greatest, like it was kind of difficult. Like, oh, was that um, right? Yeah, because he had, uh, actually, this film was what kind of when their marriage was falling apart. He oh. had started, uh, you know, a relationship with Sybil Shepherd while he was still married to Polly Platt during filming of mm. The Last Picture Show. Mm -hmm. And that was the year before this, or that maybe, was it the year before? Yeah, it was the year before this. So they're making this as their marriage is dissolving, but oh. they still work really well together and understand each other. Mm -hmm. But I know that when they did Paper Moon, it was really hard for her because at that point they were truly broken up. Oh. And I think she was having a difficult time with certain things like of working together, but they still mm -hmm. made an incredible film together. Yes. And what it sounds like is they had this shorthand with each other that he could never really figure out with other production designers, which mm. is kind of a theory why his films weren't always such successes afterwards, because he he had such a shorthand with Polly Platt. They really mm. understood each other's vision. And she was a, she was a big voice in his films. I mean, mm -hmm. she's really heard here. I listened to a really cool interview that she did, and I want to share some notes uh, from that interview. Oh, that'd be wonderful. Um, so some things I learned specifically about the making of What's Up Doc that Polly Platt inspired. So she was the one that decided to flip the personalities of the protagonists. So mm. in the original screenplay, the girl part was supposed to be um, like the main uh, female lead was supposed to be like Madeline Kahn. And Polly oh. Platt was the one that suggested Barbara to be the eccentric and Ryan to be the uptight one. Oh, nice. Uh, yes, which I think is perfect because I think this would have been obnoxious if it was like, hey, lady, I'm the cool, fun man. You know, it's way more... Uh, palatable for it to be a woman sowing the mm -hmm. chaos in this. Well, and especially because she's so powerful in this movie. Yes. She really, she moves it. It's her, her doing everything moving forward because of her. She just keeps yeah. going. When Polly Platt does production design, she also does costumes, which a lot mm -hmm. of people don't do. She right. kind of covers the ground of everything, of how everything looks on the film mm -hmm. um, in terms of like what the set looks like, what oh. the art design looks like, and what the costumes look like. Polly Platt does all of that. It was awesome. Um, and it's awesome. She's got such a good eye for all of these cool details. So um, one of her ideas was to have a cartoon aspect at the top with Barbara Streisand. And that's why she's wearing that newsy cap and the trench coat. Nice. Because it was supposed to make her look different right off the bat than she had in her other pictures. It was supposed to be like, this is a different Barbara you're about to see. Mm. Um, oh, she, she mentioned that Buck Henry was the person that added the chase scene. They didn't have that big chase scene before. Oh, he and was. That was. Yeah, he contributed that. So I thought that was cool. That is so cool. Um, she talked about, you know, the idea of they had everywhere this girl went, there was destruction. So coming up with ideas for what the destruction would be. Oh, that must have been fun. I love the big giant pane of glass. Oh my gosh. We're, yeah, wait, we should, well, we'll talk about that and we'll do Looney Tunes and that's one of the Looney Tunes moments. It's, oh, it's awesome. wonderful. Oh yeah, it's um, so good. 
So also the idea that Ryan be a musicologist came from one of their friends. They had a friend who taped quote unquote primitive rhythms on a tape recorder in the what? jungle. That's yeah, hilarious. so they were like, make it rocks. We're copying that. Um, they, this film, they originally wanted it to be black and white, but uh, Warner Brothers said no, because Bogdanovich had just done the last picture show in black and white. And they're like, oh. you can't be the black and white guy. Mm -hmm. You need to do a color film. And I actually love that this film's in color because Looney Tunes is so colorful. Yes. You know? Yes. So it highlights that aspect. Plus, it just looks gorgeous, if I'm being yeah. honest. Oh, it's just beautiful. So the Austin Pendleton character was based on a friend of theirs who was like really kind you know they weren't trying to you know make him a bad guy but they were talking about like he's this young person with money and it was kind of like pretentious transparent rich guy so they were like what would be in that person's apartment everything has to be made of plexiglass so it was this idea of like the bad taste of the nouveau riche that's taking a beautiful victorian house and like ripping out the inside um, and then like inside making it like modernizing Bauhaus, it German. Yeah. She talked about um, <laughs> like making the balcony without railing and how this was the most expensive set she had ever worked on up to that point. Oh, it was like really? $250,000 to build that set that they were just going to destroy. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. That's so cool. It's so cool. And then um, another thing, I'm sorry, I'm almost done with the notes. Another no, no, thing she so said wonderful. was that plexiglass staircase. She was like in love with it. She wanted that and they couldn't make one that could just like exist on its own they she her vision was like just having the staircase so they had to add the balcony but it cost a fortune to do um and so when they they ended up adding the shot of the man falling down the steps and all of these extra balcony things just because they saw the space and they were like constantly adding things as they went so a lot of the stunts were decided um, after the set was built and seeing the set and going like, well, what can we do with this space? What would be funny here? I remember my dad coming home from uh, work that night with two cuts on his nose from getting the pies in the face from, you know, really? they had candy glass plates, which are, you know, break away, but they still can, can give you a boo-boo. No, that's shocking. Yes. He takes that pie in the face really well too. He does. He took two. That second one's like right to the center. Like the first one's like off center. The second one's like in your face. How did they shoot that? Can I ask? You know, to be honest, I don't know. I mean, I, <laughs> I don't know. I, I have no idea. I just remember him coming home with a, a boo-boo on his nose. I'm very sorry, Kenneth Mars. Thanks for taking that one for the team, I guess. He, he did. Um, there's something else that she wrote about that. Oh, Peter. Oh, Peter loved expensive steel sculpture props. So they stayed up all night to make those, but then they didn't fall apart right in the shot. Oh. And that always bothered Polly. She was like, ah, oh, you can see that they're not falling apart right if you look closely. Oh, interesting. Yep. Um, and then there's a joke that she put in at Peter's expense, kind of. So I guess Peter Bogdanovich really had a thing where he like hated ugly feet. He like had a weird foot thing. And so she made that painting of the oh, ugly foot and had that's it be hysterical. giant. <laughs> yeah. She was ticked. But he got the joke and was like, wouldn't it be funny if the foot kicked someone in the head? And that was kind of the, the impetus of that, with her playing a joke on him of being like, I know you don't like ugly feet. I made a giant ugly foot for you to look at, Peter. There is so much in that scene happening. It, it's just such yeah. a fun, delightful, fast moving, silly, and also really choreographed in such a beautiful way you know the way yeah. the shot moves from you know situation to situation to situation and all the it's almost like a giant mousetrap yes you know especially with the big foot it feels like that well and what's that's what's so interesting to me is like 
that maybe a lot of that wasn't completely planned and advanced and yet it looks so well done, like so choreographed and thought yeah. out. Mm-hmm. And I think it was just them thinking of gags. Some of them must have been choreographed in advance though. How do you get You'd have that to, many because, sight gags? And there were some, there were in those, on those wide shots, there were lots of things happening simultaneously. Yeah. You know, I don't know. That, I, that's really interesting. And then I loved that no matter the chaos that happened, there are always the people that are like serving that don't care. Yes. So like there's the doorman who has not left his post yes. and who is not going to do anything to help and will just open the door if you want to leave. They have a revolving door. Oh God, the that's cocktail great... guy was my favorite because mm-hmm. I I resonated with him the most. There's a cocktail waiter that comes in with a tray of cocktails, see what, mm-hmm. sees what's going on and is like, nope. And he turns around to leave, but the door swings and knocks the cocktails out of his hand and they hit so him. Good. And I was like, that's who I would have been in this film. I would have been that person. This is kind of not about the house situation, but during the car chase, Gary and I, my husband and I were watching and it's so amazing when, you know, when all the cars go down that massive concrete stairway and we kept seeing all the concrete flying. And I thought, what the heck, how did they replace that staircase? I have no idea. Four or five giant cars flew down that maybe I don't know, six sections of concrete stairs and you could see the concrete as the cars came down on it, just flying apart. And I thought, wow, the city must've been really stoked to have a movie shot on those stairs. Well, I was thinking too about the cars in the bay and stuff. And I was like, how did they clean up after that? How did they take care of that? It was the seventies. I remember my dad talking about how long he was in the bay too. No, were they in for a long time? That was a cold, that was a cold thing. So here's some Looney Tunes moments from the film. Mm-hmm. Some, of, some of the ones we're going to shout out. Susanna, mm-hmm. what's, what are some of yours? Well, the first one that I think about is when Dad and Larrabee, when Howard comes to the convention and he wants to meet Larrabee, but Dad wants to usurp Larrabee's attention. And so as Howard is approaching, attempting to introduce himself to Larrabee, dad does this intricate kind of tango crazy dance (laughs) where he's spinning Larrabee around. So no matter where Howard is, he doesn't let Larrabee look at him. And he has both of his hands because all Howard wants to do is shake Larrabee's hand. But your dad won't let go of his hands. No. It's like this beautiful, uh, I was thinking of the 50s, the swing kind of dance, you know, when they like put their arms over their head and it was just like that. And it's, it was really great. And something I was noticing that your dad did that I love this time that I think kind of qualifies in Looney Tunes world is so your dad is so interesting to watch because he's always doing something on screen. He's always thinking of something and doing Cleaning something. Cleaning the silverware. 100%. That was what I was dying over this time. So they're all sitting chatting and your dad is polishing and cleaning all of the <laughs> items of silverware in front of him. Yeah. I just, just like, that's such a funny choice. Like he must have come up with that. That's not something anyone told him to do. He came up with the dance too. No, really? Yes. Mm-hmm. He's so innovative. And I think he just got so much joy out of inventing stuff. And um, yeah, I agree. You know, just he and, and you know, as an actor, you, you want to gravitate toward activities that ground you and keep you in the real place where you are. I just love that. But it like doesn't detract is what's cool too. It's not like mm-hmm. he's trying to pull focus. It's like, yeah. so it's just character work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like really good character work. Yep. Um, and then I did love this time around, especially we keep talking about the hair flip. The hair flip is yes. like wonderful every time, but his exit was killing me so much this time of just like 
him in this obviously made up language, like cussing out the people and then his maniacal laugh. Did he ever tell you like what he was really thinking? Like, did he know what he was really saying in that fake language when he did that? Knowing him, he, he was so precise. I would imagine that he probably, you know, he had specific sounds, I would bet, in mind. How much he really ad-libbed, you know, in quotes, I'm not sure. Because it sounds very, it sounds ad-libbed, but, you know, it also sounded real. Well, because I thought he, like, had in his head, he knows exactly what he's saying to Austin Pendleton's character. And I was like, I want to know what you're saying, like, in your head. I would bet he did. And uh, he and Barbara Streisand really go at it a couple times. They really are just kind of seething. And it's really fun to watch. They, like, see each other as crafty equals that are going for the opposite goal. Yeah, evil and good. Yeah, what other Looney Tunes? Okay, we already talked about Madeline Kahn's. Uh, oh, my gosh, the wig. The wig. That's so Looney Tunes. So Madeline Kahn wears these wigs throughout, and, she, and one of them lives on a little, one of the styrofoam heads in her room. Oh, and when she's just furious and Howard comes to the door and she's just so completely distraught over his treatment of her. She just doesn't get her wig on quite all the way. Well, cause she does have the, you know, whenever she's quote unquote, as Austin Pendleton calls her unbalanced, yes. you can see that in her wig acting. Her wig yes. is not all the way on when she feels unbalanced oh, and it's very funny. And it's so like funny. this 1960s old fashioned curled out wig. Flip. And it does call back to like the Looney Tunes tropes of like Bugs Bunny was always, you know, mm -hmm. putting on drag, wearing wigs. A lot of the characters were. So it kind of adds right. to that like silliness of it all. Oh, so darn um, fun. Another, I mean, another Looney Tunes moment that you had brought up earlier that I want to mm -hmm. like call back in was you mentioned there's the big car chase scene. And our big Looney Tunes moment in the car chase scene is when all four cars are coming down a hill. At the same time, men carrying a giant glass window are crossing the street and the window has a giant X in it. And there's also a man with a ladder putting up a giant like banner in the middle of the street. So we've got man on a ladder with putting up a banner and two men crossing with, gla with a glass with a giant X in it. And you're going, oh my God, the car is going to crash into it. And then the car doesn't. And then it happens four times, right? There's all these cars going down the hill and each time you're like, oh, this is the one they're going to hit the glass. They never hit the glass. What ends up happening <laughs> is they hit the man on the ladder after going by twice. So they've gone right. through almost eight times. Mm -hmm. They hit the man on the ladder. The ladder collapses. The man swings across on the banner and he goes feet first through the X mark on the glass window. Fabulous stunt. Fabulous stunt. It subverts your expectations and it's very cartoony. Yes. And, and very similar to the moment when the car chase goes through a section of uh, a street where a gentleman is re-concreting uh, and he's gotten it all smooth and he's looking at his work. And then uh, Barbara Streisand and Ryan O'Neill's Volkswagen goes over it and gets a little bit uh, of it messed up. And then another car comes through and then another one and then another one. And then the final car goes through and it's this total hot mess. And he looks at it and he throws down his spreader, his concrete spreader and just jumps all over it. And that's so Looney Tunes. I love that moment. One of my most favorite moments in my whole family, we know pretty much this whole movie by heart, um, when uh, they are driving in the Volkswagen and they're heading toward the ferry and the ferry has just departed and they're trying to get onto the ferry and they and Barbara Streisand says we can make it we can make it 
I don't think we can make it. And then that's when the car flies out and goes right into the water. Just just magic right there. Just so good. And then all the other cars follow them. <laughs> they see them go into the water. And yet. Yes. Oh, so more Looney Tunes, just little fun tie-ins mm-hmm. too, is they do, obviously, Barbara Streisand has the carrot in the beginning and literally says to Ryan O'Neill, what's up, Doc? Mm-hmm. And she says it at the end too, you know, right. when they get together. But um, in those scenes, they pull the classic, she's far away. And he looks away, and then the next second she's right in front of him, right? So they. Oh, I didn't catch that. That's awesome. (laughs) So they did that in the gift shop. I oh. That's right. Because he, he's mm-hmm. looking at the rock That's and right. then she's behind it because she, she got there really quick. That is one of my favorite moments because he she says, why are you here? And he says, I've got a headache. And she says, you're going to need an awfully large glass of water to get down that pill that he's holding, which is a rock. And then she takes the radio. She puts it on the counter and she says her husband's going to buy it. Steve. She calls him Steve. And um, so Howard, he says, I'd like some aspirin with bufferin. And he says, OK. And he hands him the aspirin. and then. He says, that'll be 69.85. And he says, 69.85. Well, how much is it without the buffering? <laughs> right. It's I really cute. That. It's a really oh, cute, cute moment. Right. And what, I mean, there's so many damn good lines in it. Um, I love when Barbara Streisand says, I know I'm different, but from now on, I'm going to try to be the same. My personal favorite line in the whole movie is the one mm-hmm. that they used in the preview. And it's where they're riding through town on the bicycle, trying to escape, and they get caught in the Chinese dragon head. And Barbara's like, I can't see. What's going on? And he says, well, there's not much to see, actually. We're inside a Chinese dragon. And the delivery is just so silly and so So good. Oh, speaking of delivery, I know you'll love this now. My dad told me this. I'm pretty sure it's true. Cary Grant gave uh, Brian O'Neill Cary Grant lessons. Stop. What did Cary Grant tell him? How to be adorable, I guess. It worked. I know. He's He's a darn cutie. Did you notice when uh, Ryan O'Neal, who comes into the room? Oh, when the hotel manager goes into Madeline Kahn's room to get the bag that he believes is the jewels, but actually is not, and tells her that there's a snake. When he enters the room, what book is she reading? Oh, I don't remember. The Sensuous Woman. (gasps) That's right. Because you don't expect it. That's right. You don't expect it. And you're like, oh, she does have some vibes. She's got a little thing going on. Well, and that's why the line too later on where he's like, I should tell Eunice first. And then him and Barbara kiss. And he's like, maybe I should tell her it's second or it's okay if I tell her second. And I'm like, you're talking about having sex for the first time, I think. Oh. And then you get the sense later that Austin and, uh, and uh, I can't remember her character name right now. Eunice, how can I forget Eunice? That, you, that they hooked up too, Eunice and Larrabee. You get the sense that they have also sexually hooked up by the end, so. But I think you're right. Which is like nobody's business, it's no big deal, but I thought, oh, that's interesting that that's part of both of their character arcs and journeys. It's the 70s. Yeah. Oh, you know, there's that other really funny joke too when the Volkswagen is headed toward the ferry and Barbara Streisand's got the radio on and then she puts on the windshield wipers and then she looks at his glasses and she takes them off and she starts to clean them while he's driving. And he says, oh my gosh, I can't see. And then she cleans them and puts them back on. He says, oh my God, I can see. And he takes the glasses off and throws them out the window. There are just so many good bits. Poetry. Um, I think one of my favorite bits also in the whole movie, that's not so much a line, but it's just Mm -hmm. a bit that is Mm -hmm. so, so funny is when um, the two house detectives are talking and one of them is like, look, I gotta get in the rich lady's room. You need to distract her. And the detective is like, how am I gonna distract her? And he says, use your charm. 
And so he goes up to the woman and we're like, oh, he's going to try to charm her. But what he actually does is he purposely trips her. And then like he 12 times. So that actor is Sorrel Book, who was on Boss Hog in oh. the series with the car. I can't remember. The, the, the Dukes of Hazard. Dukes of Hazard. Boss yeah. Hog. Sorrel book. Because, you know, that moment, like, again, these are two smaller characters, but the physical Mm -hmm. comedy of that moment, the idea of just tripping someone repeatedly, that's how you're going to stop them from going somewhere. (laughs) I know. And, you know, it's so interesting, too, because if you look at the cast of that movie, there are so many well-known actors just speckled all throughout, you know, Uh, Michael Murphy, Sorrel Book. I feel like a young Randy Quaid was there Randy too, right? Randy Quaid is <laughs> plays one of the guys at the table. I mean, it's just such a, an amazing, fun, yeah. wonderful cast. Oh, that brings me back to the Looney Tunes thing in my head that I wanted to bring us back to. Two other big Looney Tunes moments for me mm-hmm. was one, when everyone's entering and exiting the hotel rooms, to me, that feels like um, when the ant, like little gophers coming out of the holes in the ground, right? It's like yes! the Bugs Bunny hole over here, but he goes back in. Now he's coming up over here and he goes back in. So that was very cartoony. I mean, it's fun to start thinking about that because, again, there's just these great, these wonderful moments of magic and because the actors are so good, you just go with it. You know, all the stuff works. Um, you know, when Barbara Streisand orders the uh, the meal to be brought to the hotel room that's unoccupied, and then one of the guys with the cases ends up in, in that room, then he goes out and they are, see each other at the exact same time. And she sees the food she's ordered at the other door and then he lifts it up and they have this slow burn of, I guess I better take this dinner because I'm supposed to be staying here. And then she's like, I hate him. By the way, that's how they showed us how smart she was right away off the top. Mm -hmm. And they subvert us too, because we don't know that she is rich at the beginning or that she is well off. We assume that she's kind of a grifter based on how she's dressed, based on how she's behaving and based on how wily she is. Mm -hmm. Wily. (laughs) Um, But her way of ordering that food, I was like, one, the meal you're ordering is amazing. This giant roast beef sandwich and a hot fudge sundae. And when she says hot, she sees Ryan for the first time and goes, hot right great all great but Mm -hmm. that's how we know how smart she is because that's a great idea and part of me was like could i ever pull that off i don't i think i feel too guilty but i i wanted to pull it off we all wanted to be like her right and it's so much fun too because i just think she is a great actress you know all around in this film in particular her comic chops are insane because that that one shot where they're having her look at all the keys and she's figuring out which room might be unoccupied. It's so beautifully done. Um, You know, and she sees that one set of keys in that one box and you see the wheels turning and she just really nails it. And she confuses them too. She's like so far ahead that Mm -hmm. even as she's asking for, you know, like my friends are supposed to meet here and like you have the wrong hotel or do you have the wrong hotel? She always has an answer for everything. And she's got this quirk and this charm that just makes her irresistible in this. Even the scene you mentioned earlier, like these crazy things happen. I mean, she pulls them under the table and they have a conversation and they look like they're having so much fun. Everyone joins them. Who else could pull that off? Yeah. And, oh, and that's another Looney Tunes moment. Ryan O'Neill breaks the fourth wall. That's the first time I think we see into his heart. And it's after Barbara gets to him. So he finally 
breaks the fourth wall. He says, help <laughs> to us, the audience at home. <laughs> I forgot. That's so great. Yeah. But it's all under the table. Like, I think yeah. that's such a creative scene, such a creative way of doing it. It does mm -hmm. harken back to the Looney Tunes, as I cannot stop mentioning, apparently. But right. it's such a weird, unique, cool scene that I love that's in the film. And yeah. I love that Austin Pendleton is so on board with it. He's like, right. what's going on down here, everybody? <laughs> I want to be then part it's, of it. It's so much fun. Oh, and then, you know, another Looney Tunes moment is when Barbara Streisand tells the story about the airplane crash when Howard and the plane is skydiving. I mean, it's as though she's telling one of the stories that's straight out of Wile E. Coyote and the Roadrunner. That's a great way of putting it. I hadn't put two and two together that way, but you are correct. Yeah. And then the, uh, the, the, uh, Mater D sees the table with everyone under the table. And he says, what are you serving to table 14? Are there any moments or stories about your dad's time there that you're thinking of that you want to share that we like didn't talk about yet? I remember being on set and having spaghetti with Barbara Streisand. That was when I was a tiny kid. That is huge. That was good. And, um, and then later in life, which was kind of fun, and I have that picture somewhere, I should send a copy of it to you if I can find it, or we might be able to find it online. But they did a uh, homage, I think, to the film, to iconic moments in film, and they dressed my dad in Vanity Fair in all the old, you know, in a beautiful shot of him in the doorway of a hotel uh, as an homage to What's Up Doc, which was really fun. Um, yeah. Oh, and it's interesting actually, because, and this is a little tidbit, the, the picture of Barbara Streisand that she signed to my dad says it's been a primal pleasure. And that's because both my dad and Barbara Streisand were into this thing called primal therapy, which was a, a very prevalent therapeutic technique at the time by Dr. Art Janov, uh, which was very, lots of, you know, Hollywood humans were doing it. Wait, what do you do in that kind of therapy? Um, I'm not an expert, it's okay. <laughs> but it's, it's going back into your past and feeling the feelings that you would have had back then to move forward in your life. So you can leave that behind. That's probably a terrible, terrible description. Please. If anyone knows a really good description, we could probably look it up, but, but both of them had participated with uh -huh. Art Janov. So that's kind of interesting. Oh, that is very interesting. And mm -hmm. you just reminded me by talking about how like your dad was in that hallway and they were kind of doing this homage, the production design of the hotel too. So we mentioned Polly Platt, how awesome she is, but she put all of these details into that hotel and every room has like a different wallpaper that has a different color, but is the same really? kind of wallpaper. She like put all of this thought into what everything means and what everything looks like. And like, I think she even made the ground uh, green to emulate the Looney Tunes, what's up doc, uh, like the grass that's in all the Looney Tunes things. She was so thinking ahead. Um, and even the wardrobe, like when we meet Barbara, we mentioned the trench coat and the hat, but when she takes it off, she's wearing a bright red, like button down top. Right. That's very, you know, f f like full of personality. Mm -hmm. But Austin Pendleton, especially in the last scene, his house mm -hmm. is all white and he's wearing all white. And she's yes. like, that's because he had no personality of his own, that character. That character was supposed to be like such a blank slate, no ideas for himself. I love my dad's jacket. So I've got to know what that was about because it was, and I remember <gasps> he had it for years after. It was that really cool, thick corduroy with the leather collar. What the heck? I wonder what that meant. It has to have a meaning because she really did think sure, about right. all of these things. Yes. Wait, you had said something about your dad loved Polly Platt earlier. We talked before the show a little bit. I just thought the world of her just loved. I remember him just speaking so fondly. And I bet 
because my dad was really into detail like that and loved those kinds of details. So I would imagine that they probably really enjoyed talking about that kind of stuff. Well, because she's, what I like about Polly Platt, especially listening to her speak, Mm -hmm. is um, I think a lot of times as a woman in this industry, it could feel so, it could be so easy to feel intimidated and to kind of be Mm self-deprecating. And in her interviews, she doesn't do that. She's Mm. very much like, this is what I think. This is what I did. This is what she's so capable, so smart, so on top of everything. Mm. And she's aware of all these details all the time. So to hear her discuss and break down all of the things she's contributed and all Mm -hmm. of her ideas in a way that's not deprecating in any way and is incredibly Mm -hmm. confident. um, It's just so cool. (laughs) Yeah, I would like to listen to some of those. I haven't listened to any of them. I just remember how fondly my dad spoke of spoke of her. Oh, my goodness. You know what? I totally forgot. What? There's another picture on my wall above Barbara. I completely forgot. It's Peter Bogdanovich and dad. That is so cool. Yeah, there's the jacket. That's so cool. Yeah, Peter Bogdanovich has got a glass of champagne in his hand and he looks pretty cute too. They both look nice. Also, don't you think there's that one scene after Ryan can't get his necktie off and he's like got the open collar and the necktie without that, weren't you thinking like, oh, I bet Peter Bogdanovich put that in as an homage to his own style. Cause that was like famously his style, that kind of yes. cravat without the neck that, you know? Yes. So I, I was like, I bet you that's him saying hi to himself on screen. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. So interesting, isn't it? Oh, I just love this movie. <laughs> oh, I do too. I, you know, it was funny because I I took some notes and um, the how much is it without the buffer and Eunice, is this a person called Eunice? That Barbara's right. said, Eunice, is this a person called Eunice? And the propriety line. Oh, when, so do you know good. the meaning of the word propriety? And Barbara Streisand pulls the classic smart ass move where she says the actual definition. That's an absolute Bugs Bunny moment. Absolutely. Looney Tunes. Yep. Yeah. And then at the end, she throws it back at her when Eunice is behaving all over the place. Barbara Streisand says, don't you know the meaning of the word propriety? And you're like, oh, sick burn, Barbara. Yes. Oh, my gosh. And I totally forgot, but I wrote down when dad and Larrabee were doing their dance. Dad says to Larrabee, I love your hair. Which is, I think, his character's way of being like, don't you love mine? Say it back. Yes. So good. I wrote down his line. Don't shoot me. I'm part Italian when the, yes. the organization people come in with Eunice. And that's his line to them. So that is the, uh, and then you, it is the mob because that's that yeah. whole, there, there Don't you go. shoot me. Nice. I'm part Italian. Which is great because that happens after Austin Pendleton is like, this is inexcusable. And I'm like, what a rich, privileged, elitist thing to say to somebody with right. a bunch of guns. Like, right. This is inexcusable. You can't barge in here. <laughs> and another one of my favorite Eunice lines was, she says, Now, what are you going to say when you meet Mr. Larrabee? And he says, I'm going to say, so nice to meet you. I'm Howard Bannister. And she says, anyone can say that. And he says, anyone named Howard. (laughs) So good. He's not trying to be funny. He means it. That's how we know he's a square. Right. So cute. An adorable square. Um, I'm sorry, people at home. We're just just saying moments that we like at this point. That's Um, right. Another one of my favorite moments of hers, of Eunice's, is mm-hmm. when um, the chaos is happening in in um, in the big fancy house, and she says, "Don't you dare kick those rocks, you Philistines!" And <laughs> and then Austin Pendle, they start to like attack her, and he says, "Don't you dare hit that brave, unbalanced woman!" <laughs> I love that part. I love that. You know, Austin Pendleton is, uh, I believe the show he was doing has closed on Broadway. Actors' Equity awarded Austin Pendleton for a performance that he just did of a Tracy Letts play. Oh, yay, Austin Pendleton. Yeah, oh my gracious. What a brilliant director, writer, 
actor. He's so beloved in the community. What an incredible human being. Well, and it, that like comes off from the screen, I think, too. Yeah. Because you just love him. Like Polly Platt was saying these things about him, of what he was mm. supposed to represent. And mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, but he's so lovely. You cannot help but love him. Yeah. He's, even though he might be bland, he's calling things as they are. He is mm -hmm. saying the things that are true. He's mm -hmm. like, Barbara Streisand is so charming. It's everybody here as charmed as I am. Yes. He's just very true to everybody in every moment. Mm -hmm. And he has a lot of intent integrity and the things he does say are true. So like, while it's a weird thing to say when someone has a gun to you, this is inexcusable. It, it's true. It is unexcusable. <laughs> right. Right. But he's lovely about it. He he doesn't come off, I think, maybe as pretentious as they meant the character to come off with because he's just so lovely as a human that that reads that you can't I help agree. but love him. I agree. That's such a great point you bring up. I think all the characters are really lovable. Even the whole weird... Um, government side plot of like Smith and the house detective or Smith and whoever, Mr. Jones, I think is what they yes. call him. Yeah. It's so funny because the one guy you're like, is he a spy? But then he goes, the people have a right to know. So you're like, oh, he's even trying to do what's best in his own sweet little way. Everybody, like, everybody's doing their level best. Yeah. I do want to mention, I love that Barbara and Eunice are foils, but they don't paint them as rivals. Like, no, that's not what we're here for. They're both smart and they're mm -hmm. both funny. Mm. And they're both strong. And yeah. I love that. I yeah. like that it doesn't. Yes, Barbara's getting in Eunice's way, but it works out even better for Eunice. She gets it an even does. better ending. Exactly. Being who she is, she doesn't have to change. She can right. still be her awesome, though, we, you know, maybe a little bit um, unbalanced, I guess. <laughs> but that's okay. A lot of us aren't balanced. Exactly. Balance, what's that? Right. So, but I just, I don't know. I love all that. And I will say, I'm actually newer to this film, so I love it. But mm -hmm. it was, had been one that had just kind of gone under my radar until all the Peter Bogdanovich stuff started coming out. Mm -hmm. And I got to see it for the first time, a 35 millimeter print on mm -hmm. the big screen. It was oh. gorgeous. Oh. And I fell in love with it. And it looked so stunning. And you mm -hmm. see even more of the details on the big screen. Mm -hmm. But I think it's so interesting to me that I didn't totally understand how great this movie was. And I'm a big fan of Barbara Streisand. And before mm -hmm. this, I would always say the way we, the way we were is my favorite Barbara Streisand movie, but mm -hmm. not anymore. I believe that her in this is my favorite role of hers. I think she is just so the comedic timing involved in this film, down to the way she says the word "okay," is her "okay" is okay. the funniest "okay." Oh, it's she's so, just good. so good. Oh, and my gosh, the rapidity with which she delivers these lines that are just directly out of the dictionary. They're just so well executed, beautiful, funny, and crisp and delightful. I'm, there's so many hilarious, wonderful moments. I just, you know, it's just fabulous. I can't imagine not loving this movie. I just yeah. think it's so, there's nothing like it. It's just yeah. so creative and quirky and fun. Yeah. Um, that being said, uh, we do want to point the modern lens at it because it still was made in 1971 and there yes. are still things that don't hold up. Yes. For example, um, I think one of the moments that doesn't hold up is when they're before the judge in night court, as you had mentioned, mm -hmm. the great <laughs> Liam Dunn, great scene. But mm -hmm. uh, they're talking about all the offenses these people have committed. And Madeline yes. Kahn doesn't look as sheveled. She's disheveled. She's yes. not shoveled. <laughs> um, no so shoveling. she says, and they tried to molest me. And the judge looks at her and he goes, that's unbelievable. And you're like, ooh, 
that doesn't hold up so good. No, no. Oh, now, unfor- the way that joke is set up is really perfect. It's just unfortunate it ends with that because mm-hmm. they, they, everyone's giving the whole course, cor- the whole course of events, you know. And in fact, Eunice is saying, first they took the rocks. Oh, that, and he's writing it all down. Oh my, that's treacherous. Then they did this. That's da da da. Then they tried to molest me. That's unbelievable. I mean, so it's a great setup, but it's just not not good. Yeah. So, you know, there's that. Mm-hmm. And then I just think the fact that there's like no representation of any diversity or people of nope. color. Nope. There's nothing like that. And I, I get a little worried about them breaking up the Chinese uh, pr- parade. I don't know what kind of festival it was, like the Chinese yeah, celebration. No mm-hmm. That makes me a little like, is this maybe racist? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, and Ryan O'Neill might have had a racist costume on, I realize now. I was trying to figure out what he was dressed <gasps> up as. Oh, yeah. And I think it might have been like a, like old-timey Asian outfit of yes. like ceremonial gear that you're like, ooh, I don't know about this. I don't know why you chose that. No, it was not good. Barbara dressed fabulously. Couldn't you have copied off her? She was wearing oh. like a fur coat and a feather hat. Do what she she's doing. A, she it looked very um, Star is Born. Very a Star is Born, which Polly Platt also production oh. designed. Did she? I didn't mm-hmm. realize that. You're a wealth of information. So good. Well, I listened to that interview, so that's how I know. Oh, I'm going to have to listen to that. Before we do head out, we keep mentioning Polly Platt, but I want to let you people at home know exactly what else she's done. So Mm. she came up with Peter Bogdanovich because they were a married couple and they were kind of like a team. So she did his films um, up until, all of his films, up until Paper Moon. So that means she did Targets, The Last Picture Show, um, What's Up Doc, and Paper Moon. Mm -hmm. And then... um, she ends up becoming a producer and a production designer. Um, And it's a big deal that she was a production designer because she is a woman and there were not a lot of production designers that were women. And what they would try to do in the past was they would try to force you to become something that made less money than a production designer. So they'd call you an art director or they'd call you other titles that were not production designer. But because Mm. she came up uh, with Peter Bogdanovich and had that success, Mm. and was a production designer on those films, she didn't have to go for less. She was like, no, those are Academy Award winning and nominated films. This is what what I am titled, and that's mm. what I'm going to be. And Holly. so it's really awesome that she mm. got to keep going as that. So, mm. yay. Mm. Um, but she ended up producing Broadcast News. Oh, one of my favorite films of all time. So good. So Say good. Anything. Oh. War of the Roses. Oh, she right. even does Bottle Rocket, which is Wes oh. Anderson's first film. Oh my gosh. And she did the production design for the Bad News Bears. And she talked about that, how they didn't want to hire her at first because she was a woman. And they were like, women don't know sports. And she's like, oh, oh my God, it's production design. Right. Like, what? Anyway, and she did a fantastic job, by the right. way. Right. Oh my gosh. And, um, Everything she did was amazing. Yeah. In terms of endearment, she also did. Another one of my most oh, favorites. Yeah, yeah, and she does more. Those are, that's just a sampling. So I wanted to right. like really shout her out because I feel like she does not get the props she deserved. I feel like hmm. a lot of talk is made about Peter Bogdanovich, and rightly right. so. Yes, he mm-hmm. did a great job. Mm-hmm. But like she was a part of that, and she's awesome, and she deserves to be talked about more. So, so typical there where there's an amazing woman behind the behind, mm-hmm. and um, who knows what influence she had and how what he would have done without her. Who knows? And I feel like she passed away kind of young, too, because I think she Mm -hmm. passed away in 2001. So Mm -hmm. we'll never totally know. 
I'm sure she could have even like done more and had yes. more influence and more voice for longer, you know? Yeah, I agree. I agree. I'm going to have to really dive into her work because yeah, I just love every film you just mentioned. Yeah. She's Well, she also brilliant. controversially did Pretty Baby, the Brooke Shields film. Oh, it's a, interesting. Where Brooke Shields is Louis a 12-year-old prostitute. Yes. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. she talks about selecting him in the interview. Mm -hmm. It was a whole thing. Um, mm -hmm. And she talked about it like it she talked about it being a flop and stuff. But all right, so we're going to move on to the double feature portion of this film. I love it. If you liked this film, I would actually say, so instead of just adult feature, I say mm -hmm. before the film, you watch some Looney Tunes cartoons. Mm -hmm. They have to include Bugs Bunny. Yep. Um, it, you know, so do a couple Bugs Bunny cartoons before this. Maybe a little um, Wile E. Coyote. I never have loved Wile E. Coyote and Roadrunner. Gotcha. I think I'm a very verbal person, so I like mm -hmm. the Groucho Marx-esque Bugs Bunny as opposed mm -hmm. to Mimi. Mm -hmm. I want some witty repartee. Just in terms of the the coyote, I'd say. Just, you know, the, the just, yeah, that constant. Getting the, squished. Yeah. You make a great point. Yes, tonally, you are 100% correct. And I was just throwing in a preference for myself. So people at I home, hear you. Yes, listen to Susanna. And then you've got to watch Bringing Up Baby. Yep, that's on my list. So mm -hmm. the, this was designed around Bringing Up Baby we mentioned earlier. So if you want to watch a screwball comedy with this, go for Bringing Up Baby. Um, and basically any of the screwball comedies of the mid to late 30s, early mm -hmm. 1940s. Mm -hmm. um, I also love the Palm Beach story myself. So I would oh. say check that out. Yes. Um, and then I wrote Bullet because obviously that's another San Francisco based film that has a great chase scene. So if you want to be ironic, do two chase scenes. You know, it's so funny because there's a, a, an archived article I came across that says, what's up, Doc? Takes the bullet chase formula and adds big laughs. <laughs> That's exactly correct. Yep, isn't that are, Yeah. I was also thinking of um, Vertigo a little bit because they pass mm -hmm. parts that are like iconic in Vertigo and Vertigo has all that driving stuff, but yes. I'm not going to have that be your double feature people at home. Just, yes. you know. Yes. Just that was, I was getting those vibes. Um, and then if you want to watch more Peter Bogdanovich that kind of maybe feels similar to this, um, Paper Moon is another one he did that's kind mm. of more old school, black and white. Uh, stars Ryan O'Neill, Polly Platt did the production design. Um, it's set during the Great Depression, nostalgic, so check that out. And then um, there's two that I haven't seen that I want to see of his. Um, one is called At Long Last Love. Oh, I love, yes. And that's a musical, right? He did with yes. Sybil Shepherd. I haven't mm -hmm. seen it, but I bet you it would pair great, right? As I recall, and I haven't seen it in a long, long time, it, it's not terribly successful. Yes, it did not do well, and I had yeah. not heard of it till the TCM podcast when they were describing it, and I went, Oh, I'd watch yes. it. Because I think, isn't it a bunch of Cole Porter songs? Yeah, I'm not sure. Ooh, also, I didn't say this earlier, but I feel like Cole Porter is the perfect songwriter to, to put in this film because he's specifically known for his witty, clever lyrics. Oh, yeah. And he's got the old-fashioned vibe. So I think that's the perfect choice. You're the top is a great mm. uh, choice for this film. Mm. Oh, my gosh. This just in, Sarah. In that article about the car chase... Peter Bogdanovich said the damage to the steps in Alta Plaza Park still haven't been repaired. <gasps> we took over San Francisco and wrecked a couple of streets and got in a lot of trouble. The car chase cost a quarter of the film's budget, $6 million, and took a month to film. It remains one of the longest chases in film history, lasting over 10 minutes, covering Chinatown, the zigzag of Lombard Street, the San Francisco Bay, and Balboa and 23rd Avenue. Thank you for sharing that. I can't believe they were never fixed, but I kind of love that. Yeah, right? And yeah. then the other thing that's kind of amazing, and it was funny when I just read this, I, I realized I remember my dad telling me this, 
that um, the Volkswagen, when it went in, they had a stuntman. The VW was the first car in the water and the stuntman inside had been driving 70 miles per hour without an oxygen oxygen tank. And the car went down like a stone and he couldn't <gasps> open the door, but he escaped through the windshield, which had caved in. Everyone was watching them shoot because it took him three minutes to finally reach the water's surface. And Bogdanovich said, John Ford gave him advice. He said, never rehearse action. And when he asked why not, he said, somebody could get hurt. That's, <gasps> what, that's the, the suggestion that John Ford made. Oh my goodness. And What's Up Doc was the first Hollywood film to list its stuntmen in the credits. As it should. I mean, what you just described, but that stuntman sounds like he almost died. Yes. Okay, but I also want to bring back, I know we have to end soon, but your dad and the water, how much time did they have to spend in the water that day? Do you know? Holly, I don't know actually, but I remember it was long enough that he was <sighs> pruny and cold. That's that's a rough day. That yeah, right? rough. And how did they get the VW to float like that? I was wondering this. I mean, in this article, they said it didn't float at all. So I, w I wonder they must have put something under it. I mean, when they when it first went in, it sank. So they must yeah. have somehow gotten it to float. Well, because there had to be more than one car. I'm sure they had multiples. And so they yeah. did one, I bet, where like they Herbie. Like on a raft or something. Like Herbie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I knew. bet you're right. I bet it was on a raft <sighs> or something. I had one more double feature, but I haven't seen it, so I can ask you. Have you ever mm -hmm. seen They All Laughed? That was my final double feature selection. It's no. a Peter Bogdanovich film with Audrey Hepburn, oh. which looks like kind of a comedic, capery kind of film. That sounds fun. So I was like, maybe watch that with this, but I haven't actually seen it yet, but I want to see it. So yeah, yeah. Maybe. Do you have anything else you want to add before we leave? This is kind of it. As a daughter, watching her dad just at the peak of his incredible creative ability. What a joy to watch him and just, it's strange almost last night when I was watching it, I thought, my goodness, he's, you know, so special to me, my, my dad, this man who I love so much and miss so much and just watching his artistry. It's just, it's just beautiful. And it's so both like intricate and simple at the same time, yes. which there's gotta be a less like pretentious way of saying that. But yeah, I think this film is like a masterclass of comedic performances you it can really learn is. so much from yeah. watching this yeah i agree i really appreciate you asking me to talk to you about it loved it oh i, I had the best time thank you for watching this with me and for being yeah. my guest on the show today i loved it anytime well everybody we will see you next time on talk classic to me you have been listening to talk classic to me with sarah greenfield that's me my guest this week was Susanna mars they will be featured on our instagram page if you enjoyed our show, please introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe and maybe even find us on anchor.fm to become a contributing member. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Talk Classic to Me for some awesome content and to find out what's coming up next. Thanks for listening. <laughs>